Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. I am Iron Man. Luke. I'm kind of Iron Man. I do whatever an Iron Man can. <laughs> and Crystal. I must be the Patriot. <laughs> the Iron Patriot? The Iron Patriot. I'll be, I'll be Copper Man. <laughs> I am Iron Man, and so is my wife. <laughs> Copper Man. Can I be Zinc Man then? <laughs> be Zinc Man. Sounds like we're sounding like the Metal Man. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Steampunk Man. <laughs> which one was Which one was the girl? Platinum. 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 Yeah, you, you, and can be, na- you can be Platinum. And Nameless. Actually, you can be Platinum. Everyone forgets Nameless. I'm, I'm white girl, nameless. girl. White gold girl. <laughs> white gold girl. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> nice. Uh, for this episode, we have our review of Iron Man three. Um, I am Iron Man. The first film in Marvel Stage two. So uh, after their very, 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 very successful The Avengers. And we also have a Channel Zero on the TV series that we can't quote, Deadwood, which is a shame because it's very quotable. Yeah, I was just going through in my mind trying to find a quote from Deadwood that's actually usable on our family-friendly show. Switching. <laughs> and that's about it. That's probably it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Even just in just normal, polite conversation. Yep. It's, it's a, a very... Account for yourself, Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Richardson. So just let's start off with Popcorn Junkie, Iron Man 3. So as I said in the intro, Iron Man 3 is the latest film from the Marvel Studios and now Disney since they took over. Uh, it is the start of Stage 2, which will eventually culminate in Avengers 2, which will be very exciting. It stars... Robert Downey Jr. once again reprising his role as Iron Man. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper. Guy Pearce as Killian. Rebecca Hall as Maya Hansen. And Ben Kinsley as the Mandarin. And of course Don Cheadle as James Rhodes. I've got to forget that. Disgraceful. Mm. Well, um, he is sort of not present in the first half of the film. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> uh, John Favreau gets some... Uh, since he's not directing now, he's got more time to do some acting. Or what? They call acting, but it was like, <laughs> pretty ordinary. But uh, he gets a role as well as Happy Hogan. And it's directed and co-written by Shane Black, who is also the writer, the, the creator of the of Lethal Weapon, which is uh, pretty cool, amongst other things. Um, so he's uh, a deft hand in the world of action. Mm. Um, he also directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which yeah. had Robert Downey Jr. was um, also in, and in it as well, which is why I think he's directing this one. Underrated, I think, Kiss Kiss. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's okay. I don't think it's brilliant. Yeah. I think it's very, very cool. Not as good as Lethal Weapon, obviously, but it's good. Okay, so the plot of Iron Man 3 borrows heavily from the Warren Ellis extremist storyline with uh, some good changes. It's because uh, that storyline is terrible. So they make it make it actually watchable and includes the Mandarin as well. Um, so it's the Mandarin has been, uh, unlike the comics where he's a sort of a Fu Manchu type style villain, he has uh, now been... He's now portrayed as more of an Osama bin Laden terrorist. He's striking terror on the Americans um, for an unstated reason, actually, just because he feels like it, and specifically targeting the, Ameri- uh, the American president. Played by? William Sadler. Yay! <laughs> You're going to get me that, didn't you? <laughs> no. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'd vote for William Which Sadler. Which is no, it's a terrible choice, because William Sadler, you just automatically assume he's a bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to McGill Ferrer, the vice president, who just goes... <laughs> Oh no, he's a nice guy. I kept, I kept, you know, sitting there going, wanting him to someone to deck him. But uh, yes, Iron Man uh, gets involved and you know and saves the day. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Now, some of the interesting points about this, uh, without trying to without spoiling it, mm. I, it's 
it's kind of hard to talk about it without spoiling it, but I really, really don't want to spoil it because the marketing for this film has been magnificent mm. in the fact that certain things happen in this film that you just don't see coming because it hasn't been spoilt by, you know. Yeah. It also helps that Australia got, got it a week before America did, so... It's not <laughs> um, Yeah, no, they, they actually do a good job of making sure that a lot of some of the plots and twists yeah. actually aren't spoiled. And they probably didn't need to because it's Iron Man 3. They know that people are going to go see it anyway. Yeah. They don't need to have a... Re- they don't need to give people a reason to come and see it. The I do re- is Iron Man. I do respect the fact mm-hmm. they did it, though, because it's, awesome. it's an awesome, awesome twist. The main, the main twist mm-hmm. is, is hilarious. And, and it's, uh, it, it's nice in, as you say, in our spoilerific world that yeah. we now live in, that they've managed to actually keep this yeah. under wraps as yeah. well, which is good. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also there's uh, another little couple, a couple of plot points that that happen that aren't in the trailer, and so I won't spoil those as well. But they're they're they're, they're pretty damn good. One of the most fascinating things for, about the story for me uh, was the effect that the war in New York with the aliens. Uh, has on Tony. Mm. So he's actually now suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, it's affected him quite badly. He's getting like anxiety attacks and stuff like that, which is a marked contrast to the Tony Stark that we know mm. and love um, the, as, as portrayed by Robert Downey Jr. Um, in that he's actually now, he actually has some character growth in this film that mm. he, he just doesn't get in one and two. Maybe a little bit in the Avengers, but... Well, certainly get, in one. Yeah. So he, get, he, gets in an, he gets in one and two. One of the nice things... Is that it's such a dramatic contrast? In this, it's such a yeah. dramatic contrast. He's not quite so flamboyant and cocky as he is in one, and certainly in two. It's he, there is you can see that right from the outset there is a marked change. Yeah. Um, in Tony's character, and I think Robert Downey does a very good job mm. of managing to main, managing to show that change, and yet at the same time saying that this is still Tony Stark in his performance. Yeah. Um, I never felt that I was watching a different character. I never felt that Robert Downey was dropping the ball. I think he's actually one again one of the key elements to this film he does a really good job yeah and it t- it, it just goes hand in hand with uh, the first films obviously when he's the, the arrogant mm. you know scumbag and you know has the change of heart after mm. after Afghanistan and they just they just they just go hand in hand in, in just mm. terms of just excellent character points mm. and Danny Jr. is just I mean is, no one else can play this role now yeah it's just, just as simple as that Nobody, it, it, anybody who actually attempted it it's got to be like um, <laughs> anyone anyone playing James Bond they're yeah. going to be con- they're going to be compared immediately to Sean Connery. Yeah, um, and that's that's the thing. More people will play will play Iron Tony Stark and Iron Man after Robert Downey Jr. leaves. It's too um, it's too popular. Yeah, um, but the comparison is now going to be automatically made. It's a hard slog. As long as they don't get someone with that terrible voice, like the cartoon version. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's twelve years old. <laughs> it's very bad. Yeah, coming back to the point you were making, um, I can see Shane Black's influence in hmm. in that portrayal of Tony. Yeah. It's a very... Um, it actually is very reminiscent of uh, Mel Gibson, hmm. um, especially in that first Lethal Weapon film. Yeah. You know, the sort of slightly cocky, slightly arrogant, but also, you know, ha- dealing with certain issues. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm glad because it's so easy in these kind of uh, franchises to just go, oh, that last film happened and we're not going to really bother too much about covering the after effects of that mm. and certainly obviously the Avengers didn't really deal with the, the personal um, issues that the characters faced having to deal with what they dealt with it's it's really important to note that this is it's it's also it's it's almost uncomic like to actually have a, a character point like this I mean he's I mean he's a normal human being I mean yes he has this you know amazing technological Marvel suit um, but it's actually to go through 
such a traumatic experience that New York obviously was. I mean, mo- you know, quite a lot of New York gets destroyed and quite a lot of innocent mm-hmm. lives are lost. You don't see them on screen, obviously, because it's a Disney film. Yeah. But it's a massive amount of trauma. Mm. And normally in these sort of things, we just be shrugged off. It's like, eh, it happens in the Marvel Universe all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. Nobody cares. But he actually has been personally affected. It just shows how deep he is. There's no next episode. Everyone's back to normal and all happy. Exactly right. I think there's actually more to it than, than just the trauma of of the loss of life and the destruction of New York. He makes a very good point in Iron Man 3 that, you know, he's gone from being this guy in a suit and, and you know, being a genius and everything to suddenly fighting aliens yeah. alongside gods, yeah. you know. So so it's, it's, it's not just the trauma of, of, of the actual battle and the loss of life and everything, but it's, it's his whole concept of how the universe works mm. has suddenly been altered and mm. it's also not- good that they deal with it humorously but at no point do they actually parody the idea mm. of having anxiety or and that sort of disorder yeah there very are, good point there are some moments there where he act where people actually constantly badger him about the wormhole yeah mm. and it actually affects him to the point where he walks has to walk away because yeah. it's he can't deal with what it's um doing to him mm. um my my the only thing about the anxiety and the post is, is that i would have liked a little bit more development Hmm. It sort of it sort of slips away um, towards the end, uh, and I, I just would have liked you know something just with a, bit, a little bit more about him confronting uh, the personal demons that he's got. Fair enough. I, so I actually think they do that, but they're just not that obvious about it. Um, this this whole point about the anxiety attack actually leads into what I think is probably the strongest aspect of Iron Man Three, and that is that the emphasis is placed on. Tony Stark and as a character yeah. rather than on Iron Man um, mm. and there is a great um, there's a great sequence where he doesn't have the armour mm. mm. and so he has to basically improvise mm. yeah. and he has to use his intelligence and whatever is at hand and I think that's actually the, the coming to terms with it because basically what he does in this sequence is say well okay I don't have my super suit of armour anymore and you know uh, I don't have all that wonderful technology but I have my mind Hmm. He turns into MacGyver. Hmm. He does turn into a bit of a MacGyver, but but it, it works really well because yeah. it's saying you know that the important thing is not the armor; the important thing is the man inside the yeah. armor. Yeah. So he's he's not the only one that gets a, a bit more of rock. I mean, uh, Pepper uh, has quite a lot more to do in this in this film. So Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, once again, I can't really t- say too much about spoiling it, but she has you know much more to do. Um, and I actually think that because uh, the emphasis is so much on. Tony, uh, some of the other characters sort of fall by the wayside a little bit. So as as uh, Luke said before, I would no, as Richard said before, you know, d- James doesn't actually show up until you know, like when, halfway when in. Does, but when he does show up. <laughs> It is pure like Riggs and Murtaugh. God, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Once, like, once they're finally buddy together, cop, buddy cop movie all of a sudden. It's awesome, but a little bit more would have been awesome. Poor Rebecca Hall doesn't really have <laughs> much of a role. I think she makes either. the most. I mean, but she does what actress. she can. She's a good actress. She's an she excellent actress. Most, mm. She makes the most out of what she has to work with. Yeah. yeah. But they're also Austra- Australia's own Guy Pearce, who is awesome. He's on fire. He's the. This is. But- literally. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think uh, we also need to say here where. Yeah, Ben Kingsley is yeah. the man. <laughs> he's an, it ben is an awesome, is the man awesome and is just absolutely awesome as mm. the Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, it is excellent. It's very, very well done. Mm. As a, a comics purist, obviously, at first I was kind of like, oh, he's not an Asian character. He's, he's an Asian character played by a non-Asian. He doesn't have his, you know, his, his awesome ten rings. What's going on here? I suppose. But uh, leaving the cinema, I was uh, very pleased. I suppose there's... there's 
The difficulty in doing the Mandarin as he traditionally is in the comics is that you've got to deal with the fact that he is a ridiculous yeah. uh, stereotype. Yeah. Like he's he's basically the the Fu Manchu Fu Manchu Yellow Peril kind of character, and yeah. it's just that's not going to work for a film audience in 2013. Yeah. So you've got to try and and make it a bit different. And I give credit to. Um, to Shane Black and his co-writer here mm. to in, in actually creating a, a, a version of the Mandarin that actually really works very well. Yeah. Yep. It actually gave uh, Ben Kingsley a, a vehicle to show a, a, a full range of acting there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And he takes advantage, and he, re- he really is excellent. And he looks like he's having a lot of fun too. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. Um, it, it, because he gets to do all the different stuff. Yeah. And you can see that you can see the, the, the little you know cheeky glint in his eye when he's doing some of it too. Um, it's, yeah, it's, without without giving away too much about the Mandarin, because yeah, we don't, we don't want to give away anything about the Mandarin. Nothing. Everything we said is all you need to know. Everything. Um, so that's that's the actors um, and the storyline. So it, while while watching this film, um, it's 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 rip roaring action adventure mm. in the sort of the, the sort of the lethal weapon vein, um, and uh, and for that it's awesome. Mm. Uh, so while I was actually watching this, watching the film, I was like, "This is magnificent!" and you know, really excited. It wasn't until later on and sort of further reflection that some of the what I think you know, a sort of downers sort of pop up. Mm. Um, my major one is in my my th- sort of thing with a shared universe is I find it a bit hard to believe that if something of such a momentous situation is occurring and you've already established that other superpowered beings exist mm. in this universe. Why have they not shown up? Um, so most most important, I can I can I'm willing to let go. You know, obviously Thor can't because he's away, but you know Captain America and the rest of them. I can understand that. But what if the American president has been kidnapped? Why does Shield not show up? Um, I, I had something similar actually much earlier um, with the end of Act One, and I'm trying not to spoil yeah. what happens in Act One. But given what actually happens and what um, how people perceive Stark yeah. at the end of that. I was actually going. Hang on, why isn't Shield investigating this? Exactly. It. So I mean, um, I, obviously, you didn't want, they didn't want to bring Shield in because it's a personal journey and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but I just would have liked at least just one small scene to say why Shield wasn't there. A little disclaimer. Yeah, that, that would have been cool. I mean, that's just me being the picky. Shield is otherwise occupied. Hmm. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, maybe we'll find out in maybe the Captain America film. Yeah, what's actually like if it was something like, say, you know, the Nick Fury versus Shield miniseries, where Hydra infiltrates Shield and starts dismantling it, and hmm. Fury has to try and stop it and fight against it. Maybe that will explain why they're, they're too busy. That would be awesome. to protect the president. And um, another, another thing I was disappointed with is if they've introduced AIM, which was mad. And yet they didn't have the beekeeper outfits. <laughs> no, for, me, for, for me, the big problem there is... <laughs> that would have been awesome. For, for, for me, the big problem with that is if you're going to introduce AIM, I personally want to see MODOK as That's well. That's it. No MODOK. MODOK is my favourite Marvel villain just because he's a big head flying around in a chair. I just wanted at one point, I just wanted to have someone looking... I wanted Killian to be looking at a computer screen and having something like... The, the Modoc file yeah, appear exactly. on screen or something. That would have been great. Mm. But that's anyway. just that's just kind of once uh, again nerd you know, nitpicking to, yeah. to the max. One of the things that actually annoys me in this film, there is an there is a prologue mm. sort of um, sequence set in 1999, which is fine. I have no problem with that at all. But they established this voiceover for the first probably the first what ten minutes or so of the movie, and then a little bit more towards the end as well. You get the voiceover again. It's completely 
completely unnecessary. The voiceover doesn't tell you a single thing that isn't actually being shown on the screen anyway. And really, that this whole voiceover is just to set up this gag that occurs... And I'm not spoiling too much here. There is a gag in the post-credit sequence, like right at the very end there. And it just seems like the whole voiceover thing is just to set up this gag, and the gag's not funny. I think the voiceover works in that it's set up that this is a Tony Stark personal story. You should be shown, not told. Mm. Um, so I, in, in one sense, I do agree with you, but actually, I do disagree with you think that I think the gag is funny. And so really? I, think, I actually think I it pays off. I thought it was hilarious. Off. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought well it was worth waiting to the credits. I thought it was completely pointless. Cool. Well, does anyone see anybody's uh, final thoughts and ratings? I found this to be sort of on par with the other Iron Man films, which was um, enjoyable, if not um, brilliant. Um, they've all got their good points, they've all got their bad points, and this doesn't really... I probably enjoy this a little bit less than the other, than the other two. Um, there's a nice, there is a nice character arc, and I liked, really liked the, um, the final confrontation. It's not Avengers level, but it's still pretty, pretty damn entertaining. Um, I give this, I give this two and a half looks. Yeah, look, it's a really good popcorn film. Fun, entertaining to watch, you know. Um, there's, there's nothing in it that's necessarily revolutionary or groundbreaking, but still a thoroughly enjoyable film to watch. And I'm going to give it a three and a half. Crystal? I enjoy this much more than the first two Iron Man films. Um, I my only problem with my, was my usual thing. It's, it, was, it was a bit too long but nowhere near as excessively long as the last Batman film was. <laughs> but no, but I, I really enjoyed it for all the reasons that we stated. I give this uh, four licks. Cool. Yeah, well, I, I very much enjoyed it as well. I actually do think it was better than better than two and probably on par with one. So I give it uh, four licks. Okay, so that's uh, Iron Man 3, spoiler free. <laughs> so moving on to Channel Zero on Deadwood. For this uh, Channel Zero, we're actually going to review uh, a different show, which we'll, we'll move to a different episode. Uh, but for, we're, we're going to review Deadwood uh, because Crystal suggested it. So um, why did you actually suggest Deadwood? I became aware of Deadwood when a friend offered to lend it to me on DVD, um, probably not long after its DVD release. And uh, when... I was when we were trying to think of a new TV show and I come up with this one, it was met with surprise that I actually liked this show. But let me tell you why I like this show. If you get past the violence and and the swearing, etc., what you get is a show that you get really immersed in. It's got stories and characters. You become a part of that world. So while you're a part of that world, uh, the language and the actions of the characters become not gratuitous, but standard, a part of that world, standard part of the world. So even though Deadwood's famous for the bad language, the violence, the the shock value, uh, once I think once you're absorbed in it, there is no shock value. You just, you just become into it. 
David was a HBO TV series that ran for three seasons. It was created by David Milch uh, and starred a plethora of excellent actors. What's, what's the collective term for excellent actors? A cast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with someone, but that one was, that was, that was good. An AA meeting? Jeez. <laughs> oh, so, uh, not in, in order of brilliance, uh, just in order that I've got in this list here. Timothy Oliphant as Seth Bullock. Ian McShane as Al Swearingen. Molly Parker as Alma Garrett. Jim Beaver! Jim Beaver! As Ellsworth. He's got a first name here, I didn't even know he had a first name. Yeah, yeah. it's Whitney, isn't it? Whitney! Yeah. Oh, there you go. We're big fans of Jim Beaver um, on the show. Without spoiling, you find it during the wedding. Mm, yeah. Uh, Powers Booth, one of the greatest names ever as Scientology. Um, John Hawkes as Soul Star. Uh, William Sanderson as E.B. Farnham. Yeah. Are you E.B.? I count for yourself, Richards. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad, Brad Dourif, Crazy Brad Dourif as Doc Cochran. And uh, last but definitely not least, uh, Robin Weigert as Calamity Jane. Those characters pretty much last the, the entire show, but there were some other characters that were in various seasons, and I'll get to them when we get to those seasons, because they're very important. Um, so like I said, it was three seasons. Uh, it does end kind of prematurely, which is unfortunate. Uh, they were, they were uh, hoping for a fourth season. It didn't happen. They were then, then going to continue on with um, some TV movies uh, to sort of tie up the storyline. And those didn't happen either, so it's mm. unfortunate. It aired, uh, originally aired March 21, 2004 to August 27, 2006, uh, with 12, three 12-episode seasons, uh, and is now uh, living large on um, DVD and Blu-ray. It chronicles the early years of the Deadwood, um, of the Deadwood, what is now Deadwood City, uh, as from its original uh, origin, origins as a gold mining camp uh, through to its uh, eventual. Mm. Uh, well, you don't actually get to see it become a city, but um, an illegal gold mining camp too. Yeah, because so a lot of the thrust of the three seasons is them trying to um, be recognised legitimately as a town. Yeah, so they are illegal because um, the American government has made a treaty with the local Indian nation and uh, everybody was told to leave mm. but they all came back <laughs> and uh, set up their town so um, and because it's illegal there's no real law mm. and uh, they try to enforce some law later on but there's no real law to start off with and uh, some people pay the price for that mm. uh, there's no real consequence or take full advantage <laughs> or take full advantage yeah. you look at it. <laughs> um, so one of the one of the, the fascinating things about Deadwood is that they try for um, it, it has real people in it, so real, actual, mm. living people uh, are portrayed in this show. Um, and what, uh, what I, one of the things that the genius things about what uh, David Milch has done here is that he's taking real characters and, more importantly, real events and twisted them how he how he can wherever he can to sort of mm. fit the narrative. So one perfect example of that is in season three, Bullock writes a letter about a murdered miner. To the family. Now that letter was actually real and written by Bullock, but was actually written for uh, the death of the priest character in season one. In season one, mm. yeah. So he's gotten. He's even gone so far as to get conversations. So he's read diaries and letters and what have you to get conversations to be as you know accurate as the narrative will allow. Yeah. Which is, is fascinating to me. Mm. The other thing that he did was, and it was a very very smart move on his part, was that he took. He didn't use the exact language of the time. Mm. Um, so 
what he says he says in a really funny interview is that he says that um, curse uh, it's, it's he was he was asked why is there so much swearing in the show so the swear the, there's a ridiculous amount of profanity in this in this show <laughs> which is why we can't quote most of it because most of it involves uh, you know profanity of some kind um, so he was asked about why that is I mean it's it's I think it's it's written somewhere that the word the the f word is said like. 120 times in the first two episodes or something, something ridiculous like something insane um, and so and so he replied that the actual the actual swearing of the time the, the swear the amount of profanity is is actually not that all that much different mm. it's just that the actual swearing that they used was more blasphemous sort of, sort of mm. stuff like god damn mm. which back then well, was had, really it was horrible yeah it was whereas nowadays who cares um, nasty implications yeah and so and so he sort of decided that, that really wouldn't I mean, modern audiences, it really wouldn't cut water. So, you know, they'd be like, it's, not, it's not what they said, it's the effect that the word has. That's right. Um, yeah, mortal the, insults yeah. with some of these words. Yeah. And some of these words are now you know, common language. Mm. And so I replaced them with the words that we now find, I mean, like the C word, which is horrendously distasteful. You replaced it with that. <laughs> you know, that, that appears you know, mm. all throughout the show. Even if you cut the, cut the bad language out and maybe substituted it with a dam or... or What have you? Bugger it, whatever. (laughs) Bugger it, (laughs) bugger it. You would still find a very poetic uh, dialogue. You, it's almost people have compared it to Shakespeare, and it it is quite like that. You actually have to concentrate quite heavily on what's being said um, to follow the story. And on second watching, I mean, I've forgotten that the first time around. On second watching, I I realised just how much you. It's 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 literature on the screen. So I mean, e- even the lowliest character like uh, uh, Richardson is quite eloquent Poor compared, <laughs> compared to what you'd get uh, in modern dialogue. There's actually a couple of things there that you raise that are quite interesting. One, I absolutely agree with the dialogue. It's the expression, um, and it's not because one of the things that that it does is it's not just well written dialogue um, and very lyrical dialogue. It actually gives you an insight into the humanity. Of, or the lack of humanity that these characters have. They're living in a very hard, very um, very hostile environment, and it would and be easy to pigeonhole them in, into certain characteristics, but what the, the dialogue actually does do, bar, as you say, barring the, um, the profanity, is actually give them you know, a bit more, a, a, a lot more insight, but also um, saying that these guys, are just, these guys aren't just what they are, there is more to what is going on in their heads. Um, and the other thing I wanted to bring up was, which, which you, because you mentioned watching it a second time, this is actually one of the few TV shows that really rewards multiple viewings. Mm. It is borderline literature. It is um, because you, you you don't get every aspect of it first time around. Yeah, there is so much going on. I've now seen I've now seen the entire show, all three seasons, three times, mm. and even watching rewatching it again recently with Crystal, I've now caught on to things that I hadn't caught on before. Mm. It's awesome. Um, I think, actually, Crystal made a really good point earlier. Beyond just the dialogue, this this entire show is a masterclass in world building. Mm-hmm. As Crystal said, you just become so totally immersed in the world. And that's certainly partly because of the great dialogue, but it's also really just a, a, a across-the-board mm. fantastic production standards, the the set designs, the costumes, the creation of Deadwood itself. Um, plus, you know, then you throw in the dialogue. Brilliant performances, I think, from mm. 
everybody mm-hmm. that appears in this show. Well, the characters are all so three-dimensional and believable. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And and then the world they create around those characters is just feels so real. And, and um, yeah, you, you actually, you really feel yourself, like, in that sort of horrible muddy environment that, well, that, that they're in the, with the with the violence with the swearing with everything that that comes from that. my one problem with the show is you never see it rain but it's always muddy <laughs> that's so, well, so true you actually well, you well, never see it rain yeah but don't forget it's in the dakota black hills so it's it, it's more cold um yeah but there's always and, puddles of water everywhere yeah, yeah they're in the mountains where it snows quite heavily <laughs> yeah. um we never see snow either <laughs> there's always that suggestion that they, that they just come through i mean each, each season each season occurs six months after the last mm. so, so i can only assume season. that it's rained and snowed in that six month period <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so as i said it deals with um, historical characters and events uh so it starts in 1876 where uh, Bullock and and his friend Soul Star um, travel to the town of Deadwood to open a hardware store. Yeah. Um, Bullock has given up being a marshal in Montana because he he's decided that he just doesn't have the temperament for it. And it's true because he's a prick. <laughs> I would just, say that he's just unbelievably short tempered. No, he's just always angry he is, all he is the an time. Angry, he's, angry young he's man, crazy. Yeah, as the demotivational poster says. Good guy doesn't mean nice guy. Yeah. Exactly right. Thank you. Oh, that's one of my favourite DM photos. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, okay, sorry. He's not a pretty... He's, I mean, he's a very moralistic and high-standing uh, person. He's just always he angry. He's just got to calm down. He has a very, very strong sense of justice. Yeah. Um, but he is which awesome. Is, which is good. But it's the way that he meets out that justice <laughs> that can be somewhat... So they, it's an open their hardware store. They meet uh, Al Swearingen, who is the owner of the gym, and, who, which is a, the local saloon and brothel, and pretty much runs the town. Yes, like, I mean, un, unofficially, but that's pretty much the way it goes. And uh, they don't get along very well to start off with because <laughs> who can get along with Bullock? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I'm surprised Soul Star is still his friend, as he said. But uh, they eventually, you know, come to be... Companion, you know, allies, if nothing else. Mm. Uh, the main plot of the... I mean, there's multiple plots going on, but the main plot of season one is is a goal claim that uh, Brom Garrett, uh, who is a rich society man from the city, um, is tricked, basically mm. tricked into the buying... The New York dude. Yeah, the New York dude. Um, and uh, it eventually turns out that his goal claim... He thinks it's worked out and tries to get rid of it and gets bumped off... Uh, gets killed but um, and leaving his, his widow Alma behind but it turns out that that gold claim is actually magnificent mm. and uh, Alma suddenly becomes a very rich woman it also deals with uh, the arrival of Wild Bill Hickok into into town um, played by the excellent Keith Carradine so he arrives with um, uh, Calamity Jane uh, he's, he's actually not called Calamity Jane in the show except for just one passing comment mm. in that you're you know you're always such a calamity which <laughs> was hilarious a bit of a calamity yeah. when you were around yeah. but if, to call it Calamity Jane would you know to the take away from the reality of the show it wouldn't yeah. be feeding into the myth and not trying to portray her as Doris Day is my yeah. <laughs> um, the other character you haven't mentioned there is Charlie Arda. yeah I was, well, I was just about right, cool. yeah, yeah, and his friend Charlie Arda. he dies in season one doesn't he yep yeah Hickok? he dies in episode yep. four in, a, in, a, in episode four, is it? Yeah, he's not in it for very long. Oh, well, there you go. See, he's such, he's such a larger-than-life character that he only lasts four well, episodes. Well, he talked about for the rest and, of the... Yeah. yeah. And Keith Carradine's absolutely commanding performance yeah. makes you think he's in the show for a long, long, because he really yeah. does just dominate yeah. every scene that he's in. And that, and that is so... that That's so hard, considering just how good everybody else yeah. is, especially Ian McShane. 
It's an award-winning performance and justifiably so because it is just magnificent. Until Calamity Jane comes into her own, mm-hmm. um, I think he's the basically the standout. Well, it, it, it's interesting because it's you're meant to think that Timothy Oliphant and Seth and Bullock are um, the main char- is the main character. It, it, and for the first couple of episodes, Bullock it looks like it's going to go that way. But then, because of all the stuff that Al does, mm. and particularly this, the kind of change that he goes through in season three, yeah, not always becoming necessarily a good guy, but trying to do his best to protect the people within the town, yeah, so it that he can maintain more his own about power, the but, town rather than his little empire. But yeah, um, so and he it becomes about him driving what's going on. That I think even happens in season one, especially when Powers Booth comes into the show, and it comes kind of like a like a power struggle between the two of them for mm. control of the. Well, it, of sta- the town. it starts in one, yeah. and yeah. culminates yeah. Yeah. in three, especially with um, he's dealing with the preacher. Mm. Mm. Um, it's it's interesting to contrast the Swearingen character against Bullock because Bullock's basically one note to coin a phrase. Mm. Um, he's always slightly not even going to go off at any time. Um, tangent, but uh, Swearage is so multifaceted. Mm. On the mm. one, you just start to like him and think, "Oh, he's be- he's becoming a good guy." And then he puts a boot on some whore's neck. And <laughs> 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 it's a rather dramatic way. That <laughs> was awesome. Um, and, and, and I don't know where to go from there. I'll just say it now, just in case I forget. That Powers Booth. There's there's a scene where he's uh, he's watching something. Uh, one of his plans, sort of culminate and he puts his cigar in his mouth and I said I said to David at the time I just want him to say I love it when a plan comes together Um, and the other major plot points of uh, season one are the death of um, a young girl's family by road agents and uh, she eventually she gets sort of bandied about (laughs) bandied about town but eventually becomes the, the young ward of Alma um, and the plague, plague mm. hits the town, and you know people have to band together to mm. to uh, to help out. And that's, that's that I think is when Jane Jane steps into her own. Jane steps in, so her mm. protecting of the child, um, and then um, helping out in the camp because it turns out she's immune, and so they help out with the camp and stuff like mm. that. Um, so Jane for me becomes the best character in the show from and that point. Speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of speaking no, of best. <laughs> Speaking of awards, too, she was actually uh, awarded an Emmy for her performance. And justifiably so. Yeah, yeah, justifiably so. She is, Robin Weigert does a very good job as Jane. Second best is to who? Swearingen. Swearingen. Yeah, okay, cool. No, Calamity is, Calamity is definitely... As as we said with with Keith Carradine, there are so many good performances in this show. It's amazing. Yet so many people also manage to stand out so well and dominate the scenes that they're Mm. in. And uh, I think that's one of the sort of amazing strengths of the show, just... So many great performances happening simultaneously. Well, even the ones that don't stand out, like uh, Richardson, he's just sort of there in the background. Mm. But when you, you sort of, if you focus on him, he, his performance is excellent as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And EB, of course, <laughs> he's always good. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Uh, so season two moves on to eighteen seventy-seven. So like I said before, it's six mm. months between each season, and uh, they claim each season is a week in the life of the town, but. It doesn't really that doesn't, that doesn't, It's that clearly doesn't. not. If you look at if you look at the way that the the timeline works out, day and night. No, yeah, so, that, I mean, some of the episodes what, are the next day. Yeah, but some of them it's clearly over a couple of weeks, yeah. maybe even a month period. But uh, yeah, so each season is is six months in between. So season two uh, deals with uh, a growing 
problem between Swearingen and Bullock. Uh, mm-hmm. So Bullock becomes sheriff um, almost by default, really, because the guy the guy who becomes sheriff they they the town they decide that the town needs some um, law enforcement um, to look official. Yeah, they they need some officials essentially, so a fire marshal, health and safety, that sort of stuff. And the the guy who um, who is elected um, sheriff is just hor- hopelessly corrupt and terrible. Mm. And uh, so Bullock basically takes the job even though he doesn't want it because mm. he just knows it's going to be a disaster if he doesn't. And because he's he's arrogant. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but hey, he is the better man for the job anyway. And it also, also deals with his growing relationship with Alma, uh, despite the fact that he is married. It's a marriage of convenience. Uh, basically, he's married to his brother's, his dead brother's wife in order just to sort of protect her and keep yeah. her safe. And so he falls in love with Alma and, and uh, Swerigen thinks that that is impacting his his performance as yeah. as sheriff and so they come to blows. Uh, so it also deals with uh, the introduction of Walcott who, yeah. who is uh, the pre-agent for Hearst. Yeah. Uh, so once again, actual actual real people. Yeah. Um, so Hearst is, is coming to town in order to take advantage of of the huge gold deposits that are happening, mm. um, and Walcott is, is sent as his agent to begin with, and uh, he's insane. Interesting that that uh, actor is his second appearance in the show. Mm. Yeah, so the mm-hmm. ca- the character that plays Walcott um, actually also played McCall uh, in season one, who was the assassin of Wild Bill Hickok, uh, who is uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Mm. Um, and he just he does he does such a magnificent job that it it's even though it is clearly the same same person. They're completely different characters. I didn't notice until the second mm. viewing. And, that, and that, that's just it. Um, he does a very good job, and he talks about some of the process of having to create Jack McCall, like putting our baby's nipple into his mouth to make into his nose to make it look broken, mm. um, and to, ch- to change some of his physical appearances and stuff and things like that. And yeah, to the droopy go, eye and stuff. Yeah, the droopy eye, um, and then having to come back and create Waldecott, uh, a completely different character. He, he got really into it. Yeah, it's, 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 and it it's, works. And it works. Well, it works. Uh, and season three uh, involves the arrival of Hurst, mm. and uh, well, he actually arrives in season two. But Page and, dead. and uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. boy who talks to the earth, and uh, yeah, and he's in his machinations in uh, taking over uh, all the gold fields, and uh, his desire to see Deadwood destroyed, uh, mm. which uh, obviously doesn't happen. He's um, a monster. He is a monster. <laughs> yep. It does. It's crazy. It does. Like I said, it does. Uh, like I said, right at the start, it um, it does end. On a, it's not really not not really a cliffhanger, but it, there's clearly more story to yeah. tell, and uh, and there's some plot lines that don't really mm. get resolved, and unfortunately that's never going to happen now. But um, it's still brilliant for what it mm. is, and so it, it was very successful in its initial run. Um, I, I'm not successful enough to get. Uh, it was quite expensive to produce, and so not quite mm. successful enough to get a season four, unfortunately. But its critical reception is. Mm. Um, is amazing. Mm. I mean, it's basically I, I don't know anybody who doesn't love the show. Mm. I mean, like, like Crystal said, it's just the not sort of sort of show. When she first suggested Deadwood, I was like, "Have you have you, have you even seen Deadwood?" <laughs> it's like it's like it's just not the sort of show that I would expect her to see. But yeah, she mm. loves it as, as she says. It's amazing. And it's um, interesting on that because the people there are people who, are, who get put off by the show because of the language. Mm. Then when they actually go back and start to watch it, they actually take into consideration what the language actually is. Yeah. And then it starts to become... They start to really get into it. Um, I'll watch it just for Jane alone, because she's great. Mm. <laughs> uh, the fight between Al and Seth Bullock at the start of Season 2. Yep. Um, it's it, it highlights exactly what the big problems in the in the town actually are, which is the desire the desire to keep things going, or the desire to keep yourself in power versus the... Um, 
uh, the need to maintain law and order combined with personal feelings as well. Um, but I also love the fact that it, what stops the fight is not one gaining superiority over the other. Because Al pulls his knife and it is about to um, shiv Bullock in the back. Yeah. But um, Bullock's wife and ch- wife and stepson come into town and that stops um, Swearingen from committing the deed because he doesn't want to commit, kill someone because of his own um, childhood. doesn't want to yeah. actually kill a stepfather in front of the son. Yeah. Um, I think it, it suggests much about what's going on and also reveals a lot about... You know, Swearingen himself. Didn't he say something about his damn cow eyes? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. the kids just looking at him. Um, and even though I can't say, quite, I can't quote the dialogue, yet towards the end of season one, there's a magnificent conversation between Swearingen and Wu as they're trying to decide, as as Wu is trying to tell him what's happened to the um this drug um, running thing that they've got going. That's um that the, the, the drugs that Wu's got that have been stolen. And and Swearingen's trying to decipher what it exactly is that <laughs> Wu's trying to say. It's the funniest conversation. I can't quote it unfortunately because of um, because of all the language. Hangdai. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we're going into ratings, I give this five looks. This is one of the best TV shows that has that have ever been produced. There's actually what one of my favourite. It's not actually a scene. It's an entire episode. There's an episode with Kristen Bell. And it's, it's not that long after Powers Booth has come into the show. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of getting glimpses of the kind of person he is. But not really a full picture. And then there are things that he does in this one episode. Because um, Kristen Bell plays a con woman. Her and her brother are in town trying to con the, the people there. And Powers Booth is one of the people they're trying to get, get to, to con. And, um, wrong target. Yeah, yeah, he is the exact wrong target. And what he does to them is one of the most brutal and horrifying things I've ever seen in a TV show. And it's, it, it's just this one episode that says, this is now everything you need to know about this character. Mm. And the, the other great thing I think it does is it presents a very nice contrast between mm. his character and mm. Ian McShane's mm. Swearingen. Mm. Um, and kind of, even though Swearingen's not a nice person, you automatically no. want Swearingen to win out in the power struggle they're having because yeah. you've seen exactly. Yeah, he's, um, Swearingen's a, a cutthroat, but he's also a rogue, and there's a bit of charm about him. Yeah. Tol- uh, Tolliver's a monster. He's well no redeeming values whatsoever. Um, the last episode shows exactly what kind of monster Ty Tolliver is. Exactly. And uh, I do love this one bit of dialogue where uh, Adams, they're talking about. Uh, Swearingen's honour system yeah. and uh, he's like when when Al's not lying he's the most honourable honor, honor, <laughs> person ever and it's like what? what, <laughs> what now? <laughs> um, but yeah no um, Deadwood came along at a point where really HBO was on fire yeah. they were just producing one great show after another um, unfortunately they were also producing one very expensive ensemble cast show mm. uh, after another and so n- none of them really with the exception of probably Oz um, which was obviously a, a less uh, a less expensive show and The Sopranos true um, but shows like Carnival and things like that they, they were never really going to succeed because just the production costs of trying to accurately recreate these time periods would, must have just been just insane, you know, and so therefore obviously cost prohibitive despite the success of the show, but despite the fact that they were producing one great show after another at this point, Deadwood is clearly um, the best show that HBO has produced, and that's saying something. Mm. So I'm going to give it five as well, because it's just amazing to watch. Crystal? Um, 
one of my favourite scenes comes in, in season one. It's the scene where uh, Andy Crane's come to town and it's it's uh, that they've realised he's sick and so Cy tosses him out into the into the woods to die and Jane comes upon him and all he can say is I apologise and, and Jane says to him look if you promise to stop apologising I'll go down and get you some water and she starts walking off to get the water and he goes I apologise and Jane lets out a shut the front door or to that effect <laughs> <laughs> and, and my other favourite scene from that, uh, from that season just shows um, Al's character to the tea is where the the preacher in a really bad way and, and the docs can't deal with him anymore send him off to Al to look after him and uh, Al's in the room with the preacher and, and he's telling Johnny if, if this if you want to be a road agent this is what you've got to do and that scene just mm. it just that says that's that whole scene just says this is Al's origin this mm. is who he is um, and a couple of my other favourite scenes uh, I, I love it when Olma gets the one up on uh, E.B. When, when, when he's trying to... E.B. is trying to put one over her, but she decides, no, I know what you're talking about, and uh, she, she offers to buy the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it completely floors him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the wedding at the end of that season, um, just after all the horror that's gone on, it was just a really nice way to end that season. Uh, for all the reasons everyone said, I'm going to give this uh, five as well. I really can't see a downside to this show. Mm. 36 episodes... And not one of them is a dud. No. Yeah, that's exactly no. right. Like I've, I've already said, but Jane is one of my favourite characters of all time, mm. and uh, I just, I just think she's magnificent. And um, I, some a part of me wishes that she was in more scenes so I could have more Jane. But actually, but the other part of me is glad that she's not because then everybody else gets to yeah, it was to, to live and breathe. Jane. Yeah, and uh, and <laughs> like Lou said, it is it's. It, there's not a single bad episode. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of scenes that may fall a bit flat, but a couple of scenes in three seasons of brilliance. Mm. I'm willing to let that. I'm willing to live with that. Um, it is it is magnificent from start to finish, and it is a damn shame that it ended when it did. Um, and I'm also going to give it a five out of five. So it's a, it's a unanimous mm. one of the greatest mm. shows ever made. Yep. Anyway, so that's uh, that's Deadwood coming up next. Come in soon. In Australian cinemas, May 2nd, we get 42, which is a baseball film, so automatically of no interest to any of us here. And uh, and The Hunt, which uh, is Matt, it's Matt, Matt Mickelson, Mickelson. Who, who is a teacher who um, is divorced and is trying to get custody of his son. And then during these proceedings, one of his students makes an accusation against him, uh, which then destroys his life and everybody's lives around him. So, mm. um, And uh, he's an excellent actor, so... I'll I'll check it out. Except uh, uh, as Hannibal. He's not a very good Hannibal actor. Well, you know, what can you do? Everybody has their dud moments. Uh, but then more importantly, uh, the following week on May 9, we get Evil Dead, The yeah. Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, it could yeah. be interesting. And Spring Breakers. Mm. I'm sorry, and there is absolutely nothing about Spring Breakers that makes it look interesting. But more importantly, <laughs> we also get Star Trek. Yay! Into Darkness. More importantly, we get... Uh, forget, you know, <laughs> this is... A, it, it's not we get Star Trek. We don't get Kirk and Spock. We get Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> That's really why I'm excited about this film. Is, is he your main crush, is he? Forget Chris Pine. Forget <laughs> we got we got the best Sherlock to come along in about 20 years. And from the trailers, he looks like he's going to do a fabulous job. We'll soon find out. Uh, the Evil Dead, of course, is the remake of the original film. 
Yeah, um, because we needed. I don't know what the place beyond the pines is about. It's a. Uh, I don't know much about it. It's got Ryan Gosling. It's oh, that's right. Yeah, he's. Well, then uh, he'll be seen it. He's a uh, yeah, because Ryan Gosling. Speaking of man crushes, he's hot. Um, it's well, like one of his last films. He's like a a single dad who's mm. trying to go straight after a life of crime or something. Um, and Spring Breakers is uh, about a group of girls who want to go to Spring Break but can't afford it, and so create um, so commit some crimes in order to get some money, quick money, and then get. Dragged down into the seedy world of crime. Ten episodes. Um, yeah. To finish off, don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at, at nerdculturecast or you can leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget you can rate and review us on the iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. The if you're going to subscribe, Rate and review us. We love that sort of stuff. Coming up next episode, we don't usually do a coming up next episode thing, but this is such a momentous occasion, I feel I must say it. Next episode, episode 50! Yay! Yay! We've hit middle age. Zero. Uh, That's it for me and the crew. Richo. I apologize. Luke. Yeah, I am Iron Man. Are you? And Crystal. Swishin' woo. Hang die. Bye! Network. Network.